Well, hello, friends. I'm back. I'm excited tonight, but I'm back. Ah, before we begin tonight, I'd like to give a shout out to a few friends. Woodrow, thank you for all that you do. I brag about the work that you do for us. You make us look good. I don't, when I say us, I don't mean perfect peace. I mean the body of Christ. Thank you for all that you do, my friend. Ernest, I'm glad to hear you got good news from the doctor today. I'm proud to call you my friend and thank you for your years of support. I look forward to seeing you, Lucille, and your entire clan at the Bema seat rather than the great white throne judgment. It's a marvelous thing for a man to have led his family to Christ. That's so impressive because many of us came to Christ late and weren't able to do it. I'm just ecstatic that all of my children and grandchildren are saved. So, Ernest, my friend, I salute you. Tim, thank you for all that you do, your support, you being there. You know, I have friends that, that will listen to me sometimes and, and help me out. You know, sometimes we need to vent, okay? And I have a few friends like that, and, and Tim is one such friend. I, I treasure your friendship. Lou, thank you for all that you do. You've been a, a tremendous ally of this ministry. Leonard, Leonard said, praise the Lord, praying for your church, Pastor Noel. Leonard, you've been a supporter, I think, longer than everyone else who is listening now, okay, or who is a part of this ministry. Um, there was Esam, then there was Leonard. I always call their names first because they went back the furthest, okay. We lost Esam along the way, probably when we left AM radio. But, but I, in fact, the same day that I met Leonard, I went to Esam's house. He lived on the east side, Leonard on the west side. And, and, and I went out to see them on right around the holidays. Okay, and I, I just want to say thank you for your continual support. And I have something to share with all of you. Okay, um, thank you. Now, Jesse, my friend, thank you. Okay. Thank you for all that you do. And, and I mean, I've been leaning on all of you. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. I can keep calling names, but, but I, I regret that I will run out of time. Okay, now I can call a lot of names. I want to. And maybe one of these days I'll, I'll share some more personal notes. Okay, but I just want to say thank you to some of you tonight that um, are faithful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and consequently, it, it, it appears that you're faithful, you know, to somebody like no, no, no. You thank you for all that we do, okay? And you do help me look good. I brag about our website, and I invite people to check it out: perfectpeacebaptistchurch.org. Tonight, I have quite a lesson for you. We're going to begin with prayer. And after we pray, I'll tell you a story, and we're going to take a look. We are beginning to go into from Friday through Sunday, and we're going to begin our message with the anointing, the anointing for his burial, okay? Anointed for burial is the title of our message tonight. We're going to take a look at so many points in this lesson. We better get right to it. Let us pray. Gracious Lord our God. Father, we thank you for your blessings. Lord, we see the cracks in our foundation, but we thank you for blessing America. Lord, we see many of our freedoms on the ropes, but we still say thank you for blessing America. Lord, we see unrighteousness winning the day, but we say thank you for America. We thank you for our president. We thank you for his cabinet. We thank you for his stand that he has taken with regard to Christianity. 
we thank you for a man that will stand for the word of God, a man that respects you, O oh Lord. We are grateful for a leader such as Donald Trump. We ask that you will continue to undergird his ministry with the, the wisdom necessary that he might be reelected, O oh God, and that he might continue to do this work to bring God's people, to bring your people, to help the nation of Israel as much as he has done. We pray that he will continue to bless the United States and do away with some of the prior mandates that were so destructive. Lord, we pray for the, the children that are being murdered. We pray against all of the, the, the same-sex behavior here in the United States of America. We're crying out unto you because of all of the violence, O oh God. We, we have just lost our way, and we ask that you would bless us a little bit more. Oh, Lord, please help us. We know that you have brought all of these things this year. You said if, if you send a famine, that there be no rain, or if you send a locust to devour the land, or if you send a pestilence to judge your people, oh, Lord. And you've done these things this year. You said, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, you said you would hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land. And Lord, our land needs healing. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will ease the deaths. Lord, we cry out unto you for all of the sickened individuals in the United States and the closures of of all of our businesses and all of our houses of worship, O oh God. We pray that you turn our captivity as only you can. We trust in you, not in the mass, not, not in Dr. Fossey, Dr. Burks. We don't trust in any of them. We trust in you, O oh Lord. So we are trusting in your governance. So let your spirit rest, rule, and abide over our great nation. But for now, O oh Lord, bless us for this hour to the end that someone will come to know that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing they will have life through your name. So, Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for every blessing, for everyone who is listening. We are grateful. And, Father, we thank you in the precious name of your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ of God. We ask these blessings, and all of God's children said amen. Now, on yesterday, I'm sorry, today is Friday. It was Wednesday morning. Now, sometimes I walk. There's a nice place not far from where I live, uh, and I walk there. I'm not going to tell you where, for security reasons, okay? But nevertheless, I went to my walking place, and it had to be probably about 10 o'clock. I was kind of late by then. The sun was up. And an older gentleman that we walked together once. I see him on the track from time to time, but he walks slower than I walk, and I'll pass by and say hello. But he walked up to my car before I got out, and he asked, he said, are you walking today? Or, or he asked me, actually, did you walk already, or are you getting ready to walk? I said, I'm getting ready to walk, but I wasn't ready yet. I was listening to something on the radio. And, and so he started walking around the track, and he went one lap around the track, and, and then I came out, you know, to where uh, we'd meet up. And as we start, I said, how have you been? Okay, because he was a gentleman when COVID-19 began to strike. He told me, uh, he was very upset about it. I might have mentioned it. He said, you know, our church is closed, and they told me I got to get, you know, get the messages on the Internet. He said, what do I know about the Internet? I don't care about the Internet. You know, he said, I, I'm not going to give my money over the Internet. I told him, well, actually, you can, you know, because a lot of, you know, I was just sharing with him. And, and, but he was angry, and, and I couldn't pacify his anger that day. But he asked me on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, okay, that would be July the 15th. The man asked me this. He said, I heard a preacher say some positive things about Donald Trump. He said, have you seen anything positive about Donald Trump? And I stopped, I stopped walking for a second and I looked at him. I said, yes. I said, if you are a Christian, you should be able to see or you ought to feel something in your spirit for the things they are attacking him for. 
And, and I wanted to start with Israel, okay? But I got to Israel after the fact. And I told him, um, the man is the most popular American leader in all of Israel, okay? They adore him. His approval rating is, if he had an approval rating of 71% in the United States, guess what? Even mail-in voting won't help them, okay? But, you know, just a little dig. But I was telling him this. I said, look, I said, during this pandemic, I said, Donald Trump was the one who said, open the churches up because we need more prayer. Let's get back to worship. I said, that was Donald Trump. I said, and some of the pastors were mocking him for saying that. He's trying to get us killed. What a bunch of losers. I mean, think about this for a second. Here is the one man advocating for God, all right, while everybody else is sheltering and, and, and practicing social distancing and, and shut their churches down. Here is the president attempting to rally Christianity. When was the last time we had a president that did that? I told this old guy that I was talking to, yes, he's much older than I am. Now, I'm an old guy, too, because I'm 62. But I told this man this. I said, the president walked across the street of, from the White House to a burned-out church. I said, you, you familiar with what I'm talking about? I said, you know, we know the name of the church and all that. Okay, I said, and he held up a Bible. He said, and he held it up upside down. I said, oh, you were paying attention to what they said on CNN. What difference does it make? He didn't open it. That's what I told the old guy. I wasn't angry either. I said it just like that. I said, he didn't open it, did he? How do you know it was upside down? Okay, what difference does it make? The symbolism of a Bible. The president was holding up a Bible in front of a church and he get mocked by what we call Christianity. That's not Christianity. Whenever somebody holds up a Bible, you ought to say amen. Go back and look at Barack Obama, and I want you to go back and ask the question on YouTube. Did Obama get sworn in for his first term of office on a Bible, or did he not? And guess what? You can find a video. He did not. When Chief Justice Roberts was administering the oath of office, they botched it. So Roberts went to the White House the next day to do it, and Obama was standing outside of the Oval Office, and he didn't have his hand on a Bible. In fact, if Barack Obama was going to use a book, you know what it would be, the Koran. Okay? And everybody know it. And this old man had to agree with that. He said, you know, he's the one brought in a lot of this stuff. I said, amen. So all of a sudden, he started talking. He wasn't praising Trump, but he sure was tearing down the other one, okay? He at least acknowledged that he brought a lot of this wickedness into fruition, okay? And, and you know, but he, I mean, he, we just hate Trump, okay? Why? I said, if your church is preaching identity politics where it's all about blackness and whiteness, then you're missing Jesus altogether, buddy. And that's what I told him. And we kept talking and talking, but I think I made a few inroads, okay? Because I told him, he's done more for the nation of Israel than any other American leader, okay? And God is rewarding us proportionately for it, even with COVID-19, okay? We see, oh, listen, I'm not even going there tonight, okay? I can share so much with you about COVID-19, but we're going to get to the business at hand. I have a wonderful message to you about a Savior whose imminent return we patiently await. Okay, Jesus is on his way back. Are you ready? Because ready or not, he's coming. The Bible says, he that shall come will come and he will not tarry. You know what? He's on his way. He told us the things that would happen before he returns. And we're turning the corner. Okay, and it's, it's so exciting to me. I mean, I never thought I'd live in the, the end time, okay? But we actually here. And, you know, I'm scouring the airwaves. I'm paying attention to what's going on in Israel as much as I am paying attention to what's going on here. Because guess what? Not long from now, the, the man of sin is going to be revealed. 
We're talking about the son of perdition, okay? Who is going to go into the temple of God, claiming that he is God, and that that temple was... Do you know that temple that we are talking about, that the Jews are preparing to build, okay? You know, the, 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 the train station, there at the Temple Mount, it's a beautiful glass structure that has been theorized for that region. I mean, when Jesus comes back, that's probably the Temple Mount train station that will be there. Did you know that was the Donald Trump station? Did you know the Golan Heights, where Russia, Persia, and Turkey are going to attack Israel from or attempt to? Do you know they took a large section of the Golan Heights, and it's called Trump Heights? I hate you all haters or something else, man. This is something else. The more you hate him, the more God is going to use him to do his will. Isn't that crazy? And if you are blind and in the dark because you're looking at Black Lives Matter and race and all that kind of stuff, yes, we have some racial issues that we have to deal with. And you know what? Okay? The word of God is clear about all of that. But if you want decent race relations, get the people saved. Please, Christians, get back to what we're supposed to be doing, stop all the protesting? That's not the answer. We're yeah, it sounds like the answer. Well, look at what's happening to America. Guess what? Okay, We're acting like we want to burn it down while there are millions of people waiting to, for you all to tear the walls down. Why don't you? You know, as soon as Trump is gone, we're going to tear the walls down. Yeah, and everyone else loves America. Okay. Yes, America has some problems, but being, listen, being ever so humble, there's no place like home. I've traveled, and boy, have I traveled, and I always am anxious to get back to the United States of America. Yes, we complain. We have issues. We have some things to complain about. We saw what happened, but let's, let's not tear down the house, okay, just because we need to clean it up a little bit. I'll get back to that later. Tonight, I have a lesson for you. And you know what's going to happen with this lesson? I'm going to be able to accomplish quite a few things by sharing this lesson with you. All right? The lesson is anointed for burial in Bethany. It's a lesson that's carried in all four Gospels. When you see lessons that are picked up in, in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay, take a good look because you can get a three-dimensional image here. We're going to take a look at quite a few lessons that come from this lesson, okay? Now, the lessons to be learned uh, you know, are, are too numerous to teach in an hour, but too wonderful to ignore. All right, um, we're going to take a look uh, at the location. It's very important what happens there. We're going to look at the witnesses that were there at the dinner. We're going to look at the cast of characters, I'm telling you. And, and this lesson has so many points. I believe I could preach on it for probably two months. But we're going to try to do it all tonight. Anointed for burial in Bethany. The lesson texts are Matthew, the 26th chapter, verses 6 through 13. Very important. Then we come to Mark, chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Okay, then we come to the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And then we're going to go to the gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Now, everything that I read from this lesson will come out of the King James Version of the Bible. Okay? Anointed for burial in Bethany. We're going to deal with this story. I want you to, to write some points down if, you, if you're one of those students. Okay? But we're going to harmonize this lesson with all four of these texts. And by the time we get done, I'll begin to share a little bit about progressive revelation. Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. It says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper. Simon is a leper. Did you hear that? There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head, 
as he sat at dinner at meat, it says. But when his disciples saw it, now this text says his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. What a waste of money! When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, that's verse 10, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the world, the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Do you see the significance that Jesus has just placed on what this woman has just done? That wherever this gospel is preached, that he wants her mentioned as a memorial? But I, I want you to look. That's Matthew, Levi, tax collector, one of Jesus' twelve. Now, he pulled out a couple of points here, okay? They were in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. And it also tells us that the disciples were present, and they're the ones who had indignation. That's Matthew 26. Now we come to the gospel according to St. Mark. It tells us this. Two days before the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, that would have made it Tuesday night if Mark... If we look at Mark's message, he says, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft to put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And it goes on to say in verse 3, And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, Now, Mark is consistent with Matthew. It describes Simon as a leper. As he sat at meat, same dinner, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. Now, there's a uniformity in Matthew and Mark's message. And there were some that had indig indignation within themselves. It doesn't say the disciples as it does in Matthew. It says there were some that had indig indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made, okay? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me, for you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you, you may do good unto them. But me you have not always. She hath done what she could, she has come aforetime to anoint my body to the burying. This is what we read in the gospel according to St. Mark. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of a memorial of her. So we see Matthew and Mark are pretty unified in, in their description. Except Mark includes the fact that it's two days before the Passover, all right? But I want you to see something else. Here in Mark, it describes him also as Simon the leper in verse 3. Simon the leper. We see that's consistent, okay? And they had indignation, consistent. And Jesus said, Wheresoever this gospel is preached, I want this woman mentioned as a memorial unto her. Then we come to the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. We're learning a little bit more. So far, we haven't moved yet, okay? Matthew's description and Mark's description are pretty consistent. Then you come to Luke's description in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50, it says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. In other words, speaking of the same dinner. 
And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at dinner in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Wow! Luke is laying it on thick, isn't he? Not just a woman in the city, but was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at dinner at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had it bidden him, saw it, now the other two texts says the disciples had indignation. Uh-huh. Now this one is saying, when the Pharisee which had bitten him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. That seems to be unanimous. Okay. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, so you know it's the same man, I have somewhat to say against thee. And he says, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. Pay attention. He's looking at the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. And he says, seest thou this woman? He's looking at the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. He said, we're in verse 44, I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss? But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou did not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Aha. Oh, I wish I had time to stop there. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus said to the woman. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. So when you look at Luke's gospel, there is an interesting twist that occurs here. The Bible says when this story began in Matthew and Mark that it was at the home of Simon the leper. Now we're finding out in Luke's gospel, it says one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. Okay? We know it's Simon because he's mentioned in the text. I just want you to think about it for a minute, okay? Same event, but we're getting more. We heard he was a leper. Now I'm hearing he's a Pharisee. Wait a minute. What a contradiction. You're a religious leader, a ruler of the Jews? The leprosy must have been in his past. I mean, just think about it for a minute. What a contradiction. A Pharisee, a religious leader that happened to have dealt with leprosy. And he's the one who spoke within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And you, who invited him to dinner, Mr. Pharisee, is a leper. No doubt he's been cleansed, but you would think that he'd show a little compassion, okay? Considering where God has brought him from. So bear with me a minute here. So, Jesus addresses him in verse 40, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. Isn't that extraordinary? Okay, so now we are learning a little bit more about this story. Now, we're going to take a look at the cast of characters here. We have to. We have to. Okay, but let's continue. 
Let's go to John's Gospel, and then we'll look at the authors, okay? John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. It says this, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, if you look at John's story, it says six days prior, Jesus came to Bethany. You see, whenever Jesus was in the area, okay, Jerusalem was on one slope, and Bethany was on the other. And whenever Jesus came to Jerusalem, he always stopped at his friend's house, Lazarus, who had two sisters. You familiar, Martha and Mary. We are of the impression that Martha might have been the older of the three, then Lazarus, then Mary. That's the impression we get. Sometimes you look at the way they're introduced. Sometimes you look at who runs the house and things of that nature, okay? But I'll start again in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Then six days before the Passover came to Bethany, Jesus did, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So you can imagine the buzz in Bethany. That was Lazarus' hometown. Jesus raised this man from the dead, okay, and they rode into Jerusalem together a couple of days earlier. Please understand. Let's get the timing right. Lazarus was with Jesus while all of the Jews were in Jerusalem from all over the world. And they had heard of a man who raised Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus was a very popular man. Many people knew him. And he was with Jesus as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Isn't that an extraordinary? Who is this? The crowd cried. Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. So picture this now. So they're in Bethany. We're in John chapter 12 where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served. Uh-oh. Now, the story is coming together. So the supper was in Bethany, but Martha, you remember Martha? Jesus had to, at one point, confront her on her being encumbered with much serving. Huh? One day, Jesus was there at their house. You know, his friend Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And Martha was serving then. And Jesus was having Bible study, and Mary sat at his feet. You remember that? And Martha said, Lord Jesus, tell her to come and help me. And Jesus gently told Martha, we appreciate what you're doing, but Mary has chosen the better seat. Okay? Please understand what's going on here. And, and guess what you see also? When Lazarus had died and Martha came to meet him, Mary sat still in the house. Isn't that extraordinary? That was Martha's conversion moment where Jesus said, your, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, well, I know he will in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. That was her place. All right. But Mary sat still in the house. Okay, but I want you to see that was another event for another day. But we're in Bethany, and now we're finding out that they were at the house of Simon the leper, the Pharisee. Okay, but I want you to see something even more interesting in this text. All right, so we I'll start back in verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. So Lazarus was one of the guests of honor. You know why? Because just a few days prior, he had been raised from the dead. And the man who woke him up from the dead is the one, the guest of honor at the feast. Okay? And Lazarus is sitting at the table with him. Now, no one else, none of the other three Gospels give us these details. They didn't even tell us who, who was there. They just said his apostles, his disciples. We know it was Simon the leper. It was his house. Then Simon the Pharisee at his house. But check this out. Verse 3. It says, Then took Mary a pound of ointment 
of spikenard, very costly. Who did it? It says, then took Mary. If you read it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus just said, this woman, wherever this gospel is preached, have her mentioned. Now you know who to mention. It was Mary, Lazarus' sister, who took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Oh my God, which should betray him? Did you see how the story just got expanded? First we heard it was the disciples who had indignation. Okay? Please understand what's going on here. Now it's telling us which disciple it was. You know, all you need is a little bit of murmuring from one person. And before you know it, you got a problem. Okay? So Judas Iscariot led that murmuring party. That's what it says. Verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, mentioned by name, Simon's son, which should betray him. Wait a minute here. So the man who invited them to the feast, Simon, the leper, the Pharisee, is Judas Iscariot's daddy. Are you listening to what I'm saying here? Okay. You see the cast of characters at the table? Wow. So Judas' dad was a Pharisee slash leper. Wow. So I'll read verse 4 again. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? There's no doubt we're talking about the same story. You see, now you might be saying, okay, wait a minute, that's kind of confusing. Is the Bible inconsistent in any way? No! I'll explain that in one minute. So Judas said, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Wow, he knew how much it was worth to? Judas was serious, wasn't he? Okay. The Bible says in verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear all that was put therein. You see, it's hard to steal some if the bag gets light. Huh? So the more money in the bag the more money Judas can steal. The larger the kitty, the easier it is to embezzle. Isn't that extraordinary? So it tells us that the disciples murmured. See, they, did, they didn't know Judas's motives. I'm telling you now. They, they just didn't. Okay? In fact, Jesus said, when are you going to betray me? And they all asked him, is it I? And they wanted to know who it was. Jesus said, well, the one who dips with me in the cup. And I was saying last week, boy, he had to be sitting awfully close. I wouldn't let him sit that close. But I wouldn't let me sit this close either if I were him. So I can't get mad at Judas. Okay? He only betrayed him once. How many times have you betrayed him? And I. Huh? How many times have we betrayed Jesus? I promise him that I will serve him till I die because I'm on the battlefield for the Lord. Yeah, you sang it too. How frequently are you on the battlefield for the Lord? Well, right now we're social distancing, Pastor Noel, so, you know, we can't be witnessing right now. Huh? Got an excuse? No. I want you to think about what we're saying here. Look at the implication of the text. So when you study the Bible, you rarely get a whole story in one particular text. What we're looking at here is progressive revelation. Now, it's quite interesting when you look at the cast of characters that were present and the interaction, all right? And that verse 6 says, not that Judas cared anything about the poor. He just wanted the money come into the bag. And he said about 300 pence. That would have been nice, okay? Things might have been getting kind of low. You've been busy. Then verse 7, Then said Jesus, Let her alone against the day of my burying. Have she kept this? 
For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Okay? So if you look at what we are looking at, Martha served. Huh? Lazarus sat at the table. Mary was the sinner who made it a habit of sitting at Jesus' feet. She always chose the best part, didn't he? Read Luke 10, 38 through 42. And then Judas Iscariot, oh my God, he's Simon's son. <laughs> so it was in Judas' home. Judas lived there. At least, he, you know, that's his daddy's house. So you see what's going on. This is called progressive revelation. You got to harmonize all four of these gospels and you get a three-dimensional image. Why do you say three-dimensional, Pastor Noel? The reason I say three-dimensional image is because Matthew was there and John was there. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he identified himself. And he's always near Jesus. Okay? John was always recognizing. He was paying close attention. So we know Matthew was there and John was there, but John Mark was not there. I don't even know if John Mark knew Jesus before his resurrection. I don't know that. We get introduced to John Mark in the book of Acts. It was his mother's home where the church met. You have to understand that. The church met in Jerusalem at Mary's house. And John Mark is her son. Barnabas is his older cousin. So Barnabas took John Mark with him and Paul on their first missionary journey. And John Mark ran out on them. And when it was time for the second missionary journey, Barnabas said, let's take Mark and go on our second journey. And Paul said, not so fast. Cool your heels. He ran out on us the last time. I'm not taking him with us. And the contention was great between them. Okay? And guess what? Barnabas went with John Mark and Paul went with Silas on his second missionary journey. But later in Paul's life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see when Paul, you know, tells, tells the disciples to come unto him quickly, all right? He said, um, bring John Mark. Bring Mark with you because he's profitable to the ministry. So we see John Mark's, can we say, acceptance later by the Apostle Paul. You see, failures breed success. And when we fail, you know, and a lot, we all have failed, haven't we? Okay? But you get stronger every time because you promise, you know, I promise him that I will serve him till I die. We make promises all the time. Lord, if you will get me out of this jam this time, I promise you, I'll do better. I won't let it happen again. You know the promises that we make to Jesus. If you only solve this problem because this one is bigger than the last one. And come on, Lord, help him. You know, we do that with him and we try to bargain with him and even barter a little bit. I'll do better if, if, if you do it for me this time. You know what we do with God all the time. Every Christian does it. All we like sheep. Yeah, I said it. Okay? So when you look at progressive revelation now, in John 16, verses 12 through 14, Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and will show it unto you. So when we look at the authors of this text, we can get a three-dimensional image. Levi was there. John was there, present at the dinner. John Mark came on the scene later. Luke was Paul's physician. Paul hadn't walked with Jesus. He came in later out of due season. So Paul wasn't there. Isn't that extraordinary that Jesus could come along after his ascension to heaven and actually choose the one to replace Judas Iscariot, who lost his bishopric 
And they attempted to correct the problem in Acts chapter 1. And the lot fell on Matthias, but we never heard his name mentioned after that. So Jesus came along and he chose Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, the Johnny-come-lately of the Apostles, who actually penned the vast majority of the New Testament. And he wasn't even there during that time. So I want you to see the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, because John Mark wasn't there, doesn't, you know, his, his message is authenticated scripture no matter what. We can't look at the fact that John Mark wasn't there and say, well, his, his narrative is not, they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit when it was time to write, even though they were personal witnesses. You didn't have to experience something for God to give it to you, to pen it. So John Mark was not there, neither was Luke. So I'd give Matthew a third, Levi, and I'd give John a third, because they were there. And I'd take those two and put them together. And when you look at all three perspectives, you come up with a three-dimensional image. But bear in mind, God does that. He uses authors that are different, because they'll give you a different verbiage, they'll give you a different, a different bent on it, they'll give you a different perspective on it, no two men will behave exactly the same, and that's one of the things that I admire about the Word of God. Okay? So progressive revelation says, initially, he was just Simon the leper. And if you just read it in Matthew or Mark, and you sufficed and you just went with that, then you still come away with the meat of the story that that woman need to be preached about. Let's not lose sight. This is not about Judas Iscariot or his trifling daddy. Okay? Because the daddy was judging Mary. Okay, And if he knew that she was a sinner, if you knew what kind of woman that was, that was touching you, would, you wouldn't even, wait a minute, what did they know about Mary that we don't know? They're from the same town. Isn't that extraordinary? Wait a minute. Why is Mary constantly, she's being called a sinner. She's the one who sat at Jesus' feet all the time while he was teaching. huh? Isn't that how the world looks at us? You know, my loved ones and them, I remember you when, that's what they said to Jesus whenever he went home to Nazareth. The Bible says he did no miracles there because they had no faith. Okay? We remember you when you were, ain't you the carpenter's son? That's what they said to him. We remember you when you was running around here learning how to make cabinets. Now you're going to talk to us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and anointing me to preach. Let's stone him. A prophet is without honor in their own country, man. Okay? I remember you when you were running around here with pull-ups on. You know, people say stuff like that, okay? When I first came to Christ, I was trying to, to minister to a deacon who kept, you know, in Sunday school, I, I was trying to keep him. He was the chairman of the deacon board, and I was trying to keep him from standing up and making a fool of himself in Sunday school because he was sitting right in front of me, and he, he raised up his hand. He said, that's not right. Huh? The superintendent of Sunday school was saying that you can't lose your salvation. All right? And he said, that's not right. Why did, why did David pray, take not your Holy Spirit from me? And he was raising his hand. I told him, put your hand down, please. Okay? And just wait on that. Because he was about to stand up and make himself look like a complete imbecile. And he's the chairman of the deacon board. So I took him aside privately and I talked to him and the pastor and I asked the pastor, you know, he, you know what he told me? He said, I got shoes older than you. He told me that. Right there sitting in the pews after I made him put his hand down. He was sitting right in front of me. Aisle seat on the outer aisle, okay? My Sunday school seat back then. And he, he, you know, I tried witnessing. To, he said, I have shoes older than you. I said, oh my God, I must have been 31 or 32 at that time. You know, but the man said he got shoes older than me. In other words, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know any. I hope he accepted Christ before he died. But guess what? He was chairman of the deacon board at that time. He didn't remain chairman. They have a new chairman now. I'm not going to call his name, but I know he died. And I hope he died in the faith because I got called out to another church. Okay? And I asked the pastor. I told him. I said, you need to sit down and talk with him. And I told him exactly what he needed and so on. I'm sure he did. Okay? I hope he did. But 
Let's continue our lesson. Isn't the Bible the most inspirational reading? But here's what you need to see in this lesson. Jesus said, let her alone against the day of my burying. Have she kept this? Okay, we're talking about the ointment. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Mary had a discernment that they didn't have. She always sat at Jesus' feet. Here's a woman being condemned, and she was the only one righteous in the room. Righteousness is of faith, not of the law. So I just want you to think about this for a minute. Let her alone, he had to say. Could you imagine? You look at the cast of characters. Even though her gift was of the highest quality, it was a waste of money, even though it cost them nothing. They scolded her with their words and detested her with their stares and smirks. Okay? This woman is a sinner. What an ugly reputation to have in her hometown. Huh? But you know what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Simon, the one, huh? Simon himself, who had indignation, okay? And said if he knew what kind of woman this was. You are, you are a leper? So you got healed of your leprosy, huh? And you had to go to the temple to get pronounced clean. And something's wrong with this woman. You better be careful how you judge. Remember the two men that went to the temple to pray? One was a religious leader. Lord, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. I tithe of all I possess. I give to the poor. I do all this wonderful work in your name. Huh? I'm not like that guy over there. I know he is a mess. How often do you compare yourself to others? Think about it for a second. The other man wouldn't even as much as look up towards heaven. He just looked down and he smote his breast and he said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. It's so good to acknowledge what you are. Don't come to God fostering any illusions of grandeur. You are a mess. And that's why you're going to die. And if you aren't careful, you're going to die and go to hell. But you'll be doing so against the will of God. And it's not my job to preach you there. It's my job to extricate you so that you don't end up there. Listen, the key to the kingdom of heaven has opened the door, okay? And all you have to do is settle this now by agreeing with God that you are a sinner, hopelessly lost in sin, and you need a Savior. Come on, let's talk about it. You need a Savior. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ of God. He's the only Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Yes, the exclusivity of Christ. There is no one else that has a place for you to go when you leave here. There is no reincarnation. Mary can't help you. Confucius can't help you. Buddha can't help you. Allah can't help you. They're all pagan gods, and they're not real. Jesus was a is a real man, and he is sitting at the right hand of majesty on high, interceding for us. That's what the Bible says. We have a man sitting at the right hand of God. Isn't that extraordinary? Okay? Not an ordinary guy, either. Don't try to talk down at my, my friend upstairs and, and my, my big brother. Je no. Jesus is my Lord, and he is my Savior. Okay? And he earned that distinction. You know, I couldn't even imagine saying to somebody, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man have no place to lay his head. Thank God he was always at Lazarus' house whenever he came near Bethany. And Lazarus' household was blessed. Martha was busy serving all the time. Mary was always sitting at Jesus' feet. Mary was the first one saved. Anybody can see that. She wasn't even worried when Lazarus was dead. Martha ran out to meet him when she heard that Jesus was near, but Mary sat still in the house. Okay? And that's what happens when you know the Lord. You can be still and know that he is God. Okay? She knew what was going on. 
And this is the same woman who had the perception and God used her to do such a wonderful thing because guess what? On Friday, there wouldn't be time to anoint his body for the burial. So what Mary did, we all owe her a debt of gratitude. Every member of the body of Christ. Did you know that when Jesus was crucified, if his body was left on the cross overnight, our sin would remain? Did you know that? Because a man that is hangeth on a tree is accursed of God. And the Bible says, do not let his body stay out. Deuteronomy. Jesus had to be put in the ground before sundown. So they didn't have time to anoint his body for burial. And the two women who realized that, oh my God, the opportunity was missed. They tried to get there early on Sunday morning with the stuff to anoint his body. You see, God said, okay, I can use their zeal. So they came early. So they got to see that he had risen. What a mighty God we serve. So even though they messed up, by, by going out to get the spices and bringing them to the graveyard on Sunday morning it was a good mess up, okay? Because they were able to carry the first gospel message. Go and tell my disciples that I've risen from the dead and I'll see you guys soon. But I got work to do right now, okay? So when you look at the whole picture, I thank God for Mary. Huh? You can call her whatever you want. You see what they call her in her hometown. I mean, come on, man, Okay? This woman is a sinner. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, looking down on Mary of Bethany. Simon himself, the Pharisee slash leper. Okay? All of the apostles who joined in with Judas and had indignation against her. And Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached, he didn't say any of you guys need to be mentioned. He said, remember this woman, because what she did was pivotal. So we are doing this series from Friday through Sunday. And this work was done earlier that week, but it was for Friday. So we're going to take a look at the cast of characters that were crucial or instrumental in Jesus' passion, his death, burial, and resurrection. And Mary has a prominent place because she's the only one that gets mentioned wherever the gospel is preached. And it wasn't just a woman in Bethany. It was Lazarus's sister, Mary of Bethany, the one who sat at Jesus' feet, is the one who we bestow that high honor upon. And why do we bestow that honor? Because Jesus, our Lord, asked us to. He demanded that we do it. Okay? So, I want you to stop and think about this for a minute. Where are you in the kingdom? Hmm? If Mary was so lowly esteemed, and yet God has esteemed her so highly, where are you? What is your estimation of yourself? How do people look at you? I know you'd like for them to see you as a pillar of this. A pillar of righteousness is what we desire. Okay? But God desires truth on the inward parts. Okay? And I recognize how much I need him all the time. And I'm sure you do too. Okay? Because I'm unable to do it without him. And my Bible says, and I'm grateful for it, okay, that he is able to keep that which had been committed unto him against that day. Okay, you know what that means? Thank you, Jesus. Because if I was left up to me, left to my own devices, I mean, we're still a lump of sin. You know, I hate these, these, these self-righteous people who give the impression that they're so holy now and they stop doing this and they stop doing that. But yet pride is around them like a glove. Huh? Do you know the worst of all sins is pride? Huh? Of the six things that God hates is a proud look, a lying tongue. And you're lying if you give the impression that you don't sin. We need a Savior. And that's people see that need in us. And they need a Savior too. I can breathe a sigh of relief knowing I'm not going to hell. 
I'm on my way to heaven, no matter what you have to say about it, no matter how you view me. The important thing is how God the Father views me as his child. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I don't feel like it, but I am. Okay? And I have a wonderful inheritance waiting for me. And I thank those of you that, that support this ministry because it is fruit that will abound to your account. Leonard, we go way back, man. Listen, we've led a lot of people to Christ. There are people being led to Christ in this ministry. Okay? And everyone who supports this ministry gets a cut. Do you know that's how things work? Or you ought to, I'll give you a lesson on rewards one of these days. Okay? Ah, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout to victory. But guess what? When we see him, we're going to the Bema seat. It's called the judgment seat of Christ, where we will be rewarded for the deeds done in these bodies while we were here on earth. The people that have died are there with him, but they haven't gotten their rewards yet because the Bema seat hasn't come yet. So they're just waiting without a physical body, without any of their rewards, and they're waiting until we make his enemies his footstool. So the party can't start until we get there. So there's still much work to be done, you and your loved ones. Have you accepted Christ? If you are saved, you are safe to serve, you know, you want to win others and you're told to tell about Jesus. Okay, that's what we are. We are his witnesses. Okay, angels don't have this distinction. They have to stand down. We looked at Cornelius' house last week. Cornelius had to send for Simon Peter because the, the angel didn't have the message that he needed. He only came, he brought him a message, sent for Peter. He'll give you the message that you need. So angels are on the sideline during the age of grace. So it means your work is pivotal. Your loved one's homes are on fire. I just want you to picture this. Picture your house being on fire. If you have unsaved family members, picture your house being on fire and you get out. And your loved ones don't. It's too frightening to contemplate. But that's what's happening. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and any of your loved ones have not, guess what? They are separated from you at death. Yesterday, my Uncle Henry died. If you've listened to this show for any time, you probably heard about Henry. Okay? My favorite, I can't call him my favorite uncle because the others will get mad, but Henry was my boy. And I mean that sincerely. He's probably eight years older than I am but we were just good friends, okay? Henry came to Ohio, visited with me. I went to Boston to see Henry a few times while he was up here, and he's traveled back and forth, but he died in Trinidad, um, complications from his diabetes. I didn't even know he was a diabetic, okay? And they say, you know, you're drinking all the pop he wants and all that kind of stuff, and it was time to amputate, and he said no. So he's not with us, but I feel relatively confident because I stayed at his house in Trinidad. He went to church with me several times in Trinidad. He worshiped here at Perfect Peace when he came to Cleveland for two months. And, you know, I mean, I asked him many times, are you saved? And he said, yes. So that's good enough for me. Okay? Because he knew what it took to be saved. Whether he went ahead and, and drank of Jesus, okay? whether he went ahead and, and established the relationship. Are you saved? If you're listening to this broadcast tonight, I want you to pray with me, okay? Somebody said, you gotta repent. Repentance is a growth process. When you hear the gospel, you automatically turn to Jesus. And you repent of a lot of behaviors that you indulge in. People try to give you the impression, well, when I accepted Christ, I turned completely away. They're lying. They haven't turned away even up till now. And they're preaching a stoic type of Christianity that nobody can use, not even the Lord, because he knows they're lying. I need thee every hour, okay? And guess what? I still have to die. If I could clean this up, I would be able to leave with it. Why can't I leave with this body? You know why? Because the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Don't believe the hype. But if you're willing to trust in Jesus Christ. He is our Lord 
and our Savior. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he arose again from the dead, according to the scripture. That is the gospel of our salvation. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you want to be saved right now, I ask you that one question. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and he arose again from the dead? You agree? Well, repeat after me. Let's pray. Almighty God, my Heavenly Father, just repeat it. I thank you for loving me and sending your Son, Jesus, to die in my stead for my sins. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ of God, and I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior. I believe you went to Calvary, and you took my sin into your body, and you died on that tree. I believe you were buried and I believe you arose again from the dead and I'm confessing my sin to you and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and save my soul. Please, Lord, I am a dirty, rotten sinner and you are my Savior. Please forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Give me your spirit to teach me your word, to burden me to do your will and to keep me through all I must do. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing my humble prayer, forgiving my sins, and saving my soul. Amen. Well, my friends, the hour is well spent. I love you guys. Thanks for all of your support, all of your prayers. I have so much I could share with you about COVID-19, but now is not the time. On next week, will continue from Friday through Sunday, the most important three days of our lives. Okay? Good night.